from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm happy to be here with you. It is Wednesday night, and um, today's the 9th, 9th of August. Big day for me, because six years ago today, I held my dad's hand as he went to be with the Lord, and I I always like to acknowledge uh, the old man, I like to call him my OG, um, on August 9th every year because, you know, hey, he was my dad. He was my hero. He was a guy I always aspired to be like. Tough as nails, this guy. And you've probably heard me talk about him anecdotally a million times, but uh, today I'm dedicating the show to him because, you know, that's what dads are for, right? To dedicate shows to. And on another note that's um, somewhat somber, uh, Barbara from Harlem, a longtime caller of mine from New York City, um, super patriot, incredible activist in the New York uh, area, She's also gone to be with the Lord, and um, my, I wish my deepest condolences to her family. My prayers and thoughts are with them, her daughter, B.B. Reed, and the rest of her family. Uh, I know all, so many of the um, conservative patriots in New York um, are feeling this loss. Barbara from Harlem, she'd written an amazing book, and um, it, it, she's just a, a remarkable woman. And I, know, I, won't norm, I usually don't start on those types of uh, you know, items. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't uh, not address those things. And I also wanted to make sure that they were front and center as well, because I think they're important. So we're going to have a great show today. We do have a a pretty solid, solid group of guests and and great conversation that's coming your way. So don't go anywhere, right? Just get ready for that. But I want to talk about a couple of things that are going on. This smash and grab stuff, right? We keep seeing them. There was a smash and grab that happened in somewhere in California, I think. And Glendale, California. And, you know, I'm looking at this and and I can't not address it, right? This is a horrible problem. And I was just, you know, kind of working my thoughts through before we got on the air. And I was telling um, Mr. Hinton in the control room that this is very contrived, right? It's very contrived. Just like the situation at the border is contrived. And I don't mean contrived like they're making it up. I mean, intentional, right? This was something that they totally intended to do. They, they made sure this happened. They made this up so that it would happen. And when the left comes and says, look, we need more votes or we need more people or we need to diversify the, um, the electorate, right? Or we need more people in this district or that district. We don't like immigration. We want an open border, whatever, right? Because I I can't say that everybody, you know, left of center shares every one of those those, uh, sentiments. I mean, even Barack Obama was not a a pro-amnesty kind of guy, right? He pushed DACA, but he was, you know, by many, he was known as the deporter-in-chief, right? He is the architect of kids in cages. Those are his cages. He built those. And he did deport more people than anybody. So with, with that being said, even he wouldn't agree with the situation there. And we're going to get into a conversation on that. But the way that we see this chaos at the border, this is because they want that to happen. 
Now, the reason why they want it to happen varies. There's a lot of people that have varied interests, right? You've got the um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce crowd that I, I would dare to say um, they want unlimited labor, right? I think there are cartel groups out there that are smuggling people. They want, you know, they want an open border. I think there are people in these factories where they keep catching little kids working in these overnight shifts. Even the nine different McDonald's had a raid and there were little kids there. We covered that about a month and a half ago. So clearly there's, there's a desire to have these people here. In the same way, I think there's a desire for reparations. There's a desire to, to try and heal a wound, whether it's a genuine one or not, right? Uh, I've never been a fan of, of race hustlers like uh, Al, Al Sharpton and others that promote these ideas that, that we should engage in ideas like reparations or that we should, you know, we should constantly chip away at a chasm that, in my opinion, was healed or filled. I grew up in New York City with every race. And the idea of racism was literally a historic idea. I didn't experience it. I didn't know what it was as a little kid. Today, I still don't see racism. I see people telling me that there is racism. And I'm not saying I'm blind that there is no racism. Look, people have called me the SPIC word and, you know, thrown things at me. Clearly, that was racist. <laughs> but what I mean is the, the systemic racism that we hear about and, and this rampant racism... Um, and again, this, I'm, I'm okay with chalking it up as a difference of opinion. I just, I don't see it. I see opportunity. I see success for so many people, but there are people that want things to happen and they're willing to work with people in the government in different ways to get to what they want. And it's starting to look to me like if you want to have reparations, but you can't figure out a way to pull it off because you don't have the money, right? Gavin Newsom in California, they're, they're, everybody in California is like, we're going to give this money, we're going to give that money, we're going to give millions here, each person's going to get a million this, a million that, everybody's getting something. But ultimately, you end up in a place where you can't do it because they're running out of money. They've run the, the, the state of California into the ground. So what happens? Well, I think what happens here is the same as the border. Everybody has a desire, and, and they, they can't make it happen by offering blanket amnesty or saying we have an open border. Come one, come all. Just come on in because we need you for this and this and this. Cheap labor, overnight labor, wh whatever it is. Um, more people living in the district so congressional people can continue to, you know, get high on the pork that they're addicted to. And I think they do the same thing with reparations and, and we're seeing it play out. And it's so unfortunate for the entirety of America because you've got people that are, in my opinion, being duped into conducting these smash-and-grab robberies, right? They, they, they've been told by their community leaders that they were owed this money. They are told now by their district attorneys that say, we are not going to prosecute. They're told by the media and the news that they're consuming that, that there's somehow people against you because of the color of your skin. And it's almost like we're egging on a situation where when they make these announcements, they do it right in, in, uh, in areas that are, are close to these places that where they have these luxury stores. And it's almost like they're inviting the problems. And that, I think that's a heck of a way to treat people in a bad way, right? It's, it's wrong to entice people to go and do these things after you pour on them that they, they, they're owed this and they're owed that. So this backdoor way of reparations through 
faulty DAs that are, you know, not prosecuting, but instead being pro-crime and progressive in, in their roles as prosecutors, and politicians that are, you know, promising things they can never deliver, is creating a situation where we are corrupting young people in their minds and in their deeds, and it's got to stop. And I just wanted to get that off my chest because I think it's truly despicable that we are creating, in my opinion, a phony racism just to try to appease a political movement that is led by race hustlers. Disgraceful. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Happy to be with you tonight. Big show tonight. We've got a lot to discuss. I want you to kick up your shoes, sit back, relax, enjoy the show for the next three hours from till one o'clock in the morning. I'm with you. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And a bit of breaking news. Uh, the candidate in Ecuador for president, uh, Fernando Villavicencio, he was shot and killed and uh, the BBC News is reporting this, and they're speculating that this may have something to do with him going against the cartels, saying the, the cartels had too much influence in politics. That's um, still being developed. I'll get into it a little bit later. Uh, but speaking of cartels, uh, they continue to do what they're doing at the border. And the squad and one of their newest members, um, Jamal Bowman from uh, New York, he admits that Democrats are looking bad over the illegal immigration crisis, and he's calling on Biden to show some leadership on this. This is a, a pretty uh, interesting thing, right? A Democrat from New York calling on Biden to show leadership. In some of his comments to reporters, he pointed out that the margins for Democrats to claw back the White House are slim and warned that handling the influx of undocumented people in New York would be critical in the 2024 election. People in New York are not happy. You've got immigrants in New York that are not happy. The mayor now seems, the mayor sounds like Mark Morgan all of a sudden, right? Mayor Merrick Adams, he's saying, don't come, go home. We've got to close the borders. It's, it's really funny to me, but it's not funny. It's actually pretty serious. And speaking of Mark Morgan, I want to bring him in. Mark Morgan, you guys know him. He was Obama's border chief. Then he served as acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Patrol during the Trump administration. And he's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Mark Morgan, welcome, sir. Rich, as always, thanks for having me on tonight. It's my pleasure. And again, folks, if you can't put the, the voice with the face, Mark Morgan's the handsome guy that's on TV every night or every, it seems like you're on every night on, on Newsmax <laughs> at 9 o'clock with our buddy Chris Plant. So uh, you always do an amazing job there. And, and I'm happy that you've uh, stayed up late to be with us tonight, Mark Morgan. 
Well, I appreciate it. I, I don't know about the handsome part, but I, I, one thing I will own is I always try to come prepared with facts. Yeah, I've seen that. I see you whip them out sometimes. You pull them out. Look right here. Look at this right here. <laughs> I love that. And I love him. Nichols, by the way. I love Nichols. He's a great guy. Uh, actually, I, I always tell him I'm going to bring him on, and I never bring him on. We're supposed to have a little shootout on here, and we will soon. But, Mark Morgan, I, I wanted to get your take on this because I think I always get excited, right? I get very, very excited because, you know, I'm a political guy. But I get excited when I hear, you know, the squad chastising Biden, saying that, you know, we need more leadership and, and, and you know, taking a shot across the bow at, at J- uh, Joe El Baboso Biden, as I like to call him. So um, what's your initial take on this? Well, there's a few things. And as you're talking, I was taking notes. So let, let's, let's dissect what they said, because I think it's very important. So they say, it, you know, he's, it, it's looking bad. Well, no, it's not looking bad. It <laughs> right. is bad. Right. And very. But, but I, I think that's right. But I think I think Rich, I think that's very important because that's what that's what they really want to address. They want to address the optics. Right. They, they don't actually want to address the crisis. They right, just the want problem. to address the optics. Right. And, and, and that's that's what I suggest about Mayor Adams in New York. If, if you really look at what he's saying, he, he's, he's really not blaming the administration. Right. He, he's, he's just saying, hey, look, um, we have this situation here in New York that's unsustainable. So, hey, Biden, hey, federal government, hey, U.S. taxpayers, why don't you just give me more money? Right. And, and, and that, that'll solve everything. Just give me more money instead of actually holding the Biden administration accountable, being honest with American people and New York citizens to acknowledge that it's this administration that caused the crisis. And rather than throwing more money after the fact, after they're already in here, how about we throw the money at the border to physically secure it and prevent it and stop it from happening? Yeah, listen, 100 percent. I'm with you there. I'm convinced, Mark Morgan, that what we're seeing in many areas of our government is people using the government, using lawfare, using phony rulemaking and regulation making and doing everything they can that they won't get sued for. And even then they'll still do it to to get what they want uh, under the guise of something else. Like, for example, I think Joe Biden had, has made these deals a long time ago saying, look, if you agree with me, we get rid of Bernie Sanders, we get rid of the rest of the people when he ran for president. I'll do what you want. And I think there were competing interests and some were the open borders crowd like Soros and the, the stuff that he funds. Some of them, I think, were, you know, either compromised by the cartel. So they were just lobbying for the cartel to have, you know, their business of smuggling humans. And I think some of them are also just political interests that are saying, if we could get a truckload of people into New York, into here, into, we can solidify our majority and, and the congressional dollars that come to that saying we have this many people. So I think there's a lot of these uh, various interests, but they, the answer was always going to be some sort of amnesty or some sort of open border. And this what they like to call a pathway to citizenship. And I think the answer was, we're going to get Mayorkas and we're just going to open this thing up and we're going to let all hell break loose. And that's what's happening. And to me, I, I just don't see an end in sight. Do you think I'm nuts? No. Look, I, I, not only was I intently listening, Rich, but I'm, I'm taking notes and I'm not just saying this. I'm not trying to blow smoke or sunshine your way. I, I, I couldn't say better myself and I completely agree with every word you just said. Here, here's what we here's what we have. And I, I, I've been serving this country for, for over 40 years. I've served under six administrations, both Republican and Democrat. Here's what I've never seen in that 40 years is this the convergence that we have right now under this administration of both politics 
and ideology, which is which is what mm-hmm. I heard you describing, right? So, so we 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 have the the, the politicians and the politics being played out. They they see a perceived political benefit from this, meaning that that remember illegal aliens are counted part of the census. So, as you suggested, we have a real possibility of redistricting in the Democrats' favor. The other part of that political perceived benefit is every single illegal alien they find a pathway to citizenship is going to equate to a Democratic vote. So we have that. Now let's shift over to the ideology, and this is where I think individual like Secretary Mayorkas fit in. I don't think he's a politician. I think he's an ideologue. Every day he wakes up, and instead of doing the job of secretary to secure our nation's border and to protect this entire country from threats outside his border, what he's in the pursuit of is his personal ideology. And so that makes a very smart intellectual man very stupid. He's ignorant of the fact, truth, and reality because all he sees is the pursuit of his personal ideology. So we have this convergent of, 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 of political pursuit, plus ideological pursuit, and that's why we're in the predicament we are right now. This is good, Mark Morgan, because I think you're really hitting the nail on the head. I, I think I also agree that we, we haven't seen that before. I think we, we've seen a much more um, technocratic type of bureaucracy, yep. but now we're seeing um, a, a very uh, ideological bureaucracy that's really moved by movement like these are activists right these are movement leftists th- that are that are foaming at the mouth at movement conservatives and then there's like a real battle here and and i i don't again i i don't know how you fix that because there was you know i talked to guys like you that have been around forever and they're like i've never seen this before i talked to fbi guys i talked to all sorts of people you know my brother's a fed and and all i ever hear is everybody always kept their politics aside and we did the job country first but yet that's not where we are now so i, I it's a very sad place to be and i want to get your take on that really from that level like from somebody who was on the inside but you got to stick with me because um we have to take a quick pause here so let me remind everybody who we're on with we're on with mark morgan uh, Mark Morgan, you, you, if you don't know him, you should. Former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Uh, he's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's with us for uh, the next couple of segments. So if you want to speak with him, you have that opportunity when you call us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And straight ahead, we're going to talk about what this deep state has done, right? Really, what, what ideology within the deep state has done to our government and uh, I also want to get a little bit of uh, your views on the, um, the, the lawfare against Trump, because I know you have some good analysis on that as well. So, Mark Morgan, stick with us. I appreciate you being here. Folks, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. And uh, we continue our conversation with Mark Morgan, forming act, former, 
forming, excuse me, security take two, former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and he's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Mark Morgan, we left off with you telling us a little bit about, you know, your decades in, in service to this country and how, you know, there's always there's always been an administrative state, right? There's always been a quote unquote deep state, but it's never been the way it is. And, and as ideological as it is, as you pointed out, uh, elaborate on that. So you, you said something that, that was, I, I think, spot on. And so, so the, the, you know, the administrative state, it, it really was a formation of a bunch of bureaucrats and political appointees and politicians and et cetera. And, and we've had that on both sides, right? Both, both Republican and Democratic administration. But again, what what I've seen a convergence of in this administration like we've never seen before, not in my 40 years, is something you said is there's this ad of activists, right, that, that are now in key positions. You know, we, we kind of got used to, we, we, we got uh, able to deal with bureaucrats, right, and the political appointees. But but the, the advent of the, the activists uh, it, it, to the degree of this administration is something new. I mean, some of the people that, that this administration is putting in key, critical, pivotal roles in this administration, they, they, they have been performing the job of an activist for the majority of their career. I'll give you a quick example. Remember, it's, it's, it wasn't that long ago, but everybody forgot about Chris Magnus. Remember? They brought him back mm. as a CBP commissioner to do my old job. Well, I mean, he, he had never – I mean, he, he'd been a police officer for a while and a chief for a little while, but he'd really never been those. He'd been an activist his entire career. And so they just plucked him out of being a local activist and, and, and put him in charge of the largest federal law enforcement agency in the United States. Uh, and, but, but it was ironic because even he was too much for this administration. But that's the type <laughs> of individuals that they're bringing back and putting in key positions. That reminds me of an activist that ran um, for president, Barack Obama, and he won. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's exactly right. Since right? then, it's been downhill. Unbelievable. But, what, 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 the only thing I would say about that is, you know, uh, President Obama pretended that he wasn't. Now, now you've got people in the administration, they're unabashedful about it. Yeah, they right? they're, they're owning it. And, and, and I, but I think that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And I think it, it really, in my opinion, uh, I would imagine that it really messes up the morale of somebody that's like, look, I, I like, look for me, I'm, I'm single or I'm divorced for, for many years now. I date. And, and when I date, I don't, I don't begrudge any woman her politics, right? I, I really, it's not my thing because I think, you know, I'm not really dating you for your politics. Um, I think the same way if you work in government and I worked in state government, I wasn't there, you know, I was a, I was a gubernatorial appointee, but I wasn't there just to, you know, serve the Republican governor, although I served at his pleasure. There was a job to do, right? I took an oath to the Constitution to take that job. So in the same way, I think that's how people really once conducted themselves in Washington. But I, I think it, it's kind of really gone awry or it's run amok where they're few and far between those that are saying, look, I'm going to uphold my oath to, to the Constitution. I'm going to do what I have to do here, irrespective of politics. There, there's certain things you have to do, especially if you work in a national security function uh, or a uh, law enforcement capacity. You have to do the right thing. But sadly, I feel like that has dissipated and we're stuck with the mess that we're in. Is there an off-ramp? So I, I tell you, so, so yes, but before, before I get to, to explain how I think that we, we get to the off-ramp, mm -hmm. which is, look, what you said Look at Secretary Mayorkas. When I was listening to you, you were describing Secretary Mayorkas. 
This is a man who is not committed to the rule of law. He's not committed to the Constitution. He is committed to his personal pursuit of his ideology. That's it. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the first secretary in our lifetime of a, of a major significant department that, that views the law as a mere advisory opinion. He's abdicated his oath. He's overstepped his authority. He refuses to enforce the law. He's lied to Congress and the American people. He just makes up law uh, and, and, like I said, doesn't enforce other laws. And, and, and he knows that every aspect of our nation's safety, health, and national security is being jeopardized. 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses in a single 12-month period. Uh, 1.5 million known gotaways, and we know they're murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons among them. Potential national security threats could be there. We could literally have a sleeper cell plan in the next terrorist attack, and we have no idea. But this man tells us that our borders are secure. Um, it, it's absurd, and, and no one is believing. I, I really even believe Democrats. Uh, believe what he's he's trying to sell the American people. And here's the off ramp: 2024 elections, you get a conservative back in the White House who actually knows and understands and believes that border security is synonymous with national security. And look, love him or hate him, and this is not a political thing for me. That's what Trump brought us. Um, yeah. he, he was really the first president in our modern history that actually listened listened to the border security experts. Imagine that. Listen to him, and then. He went one step further. He didn't just listen to him, Rich, but then he gave them what they were asking for. And he understood that border security was synonymous with national security. He understood what Ronald Reagan said many years ago in the 80s, that a country that cannot secure its borders is not a country. He understood that, but more than that, he actually backed that up with action. You know, you're talking about national security and and border security and the border being secure and Mayorkas lying about it. And I would venture to say that I think, you know, under real pressure, if we ask Mayorkas, is the border secure? He'd say it's very secure. The cartel has this thing locked down. You can't get through it unless you pay the cartel off. They have it secure. We don't have it secure, but they do. And I feel like this is such an insidious problem. And it's a dangerous one, right? I mean, I watch TV. You know, that's the extent of my knowledge of the cartel. But I know that these are bad guys, bad hombres, like Trump says. So yep. if yep. if we have these bad and now you know these guys, right? You've been nose to nose with yep. these guys. This is a problem that you, you need a guy, uh, for lack of a better term, with real balls to, to go into this situation and say, look, I'm not taking this from you anymore. We're, we're going to have this fight and in order to get back this operational control, to actually have uh, safety and security at the border and really for the rest of the country. Uh, so I get that we have to change the leadership at the executive level. But with respect to the cartels, and, and I'm looking at this story in the BBC that I mentioned yep. a little while ago, that, you know, that they killed this candidate for president. And it looks like he was, you know, kind of a people's champ from what I could see. I don't know much about what's going on in Quito. But I do know that that whenever you go against these people, they push back really, really hard. And, and I wonder, do you think it's a question of, of, of fear, intimidation, weakness, lack of bravado on Biden's part, uh, something else, or, or are we just not trying? You know, the, the, I, I think when it comes to Biden, I think it's really D all the above, Rich. But, but at the end of the mm. day, I, I think we described it well before, is that he, he really is, and, and look, I'm not trying to be disparaging. That's not my goal of anybody, but, but you just look at him. Look, so I know the border, and when, when the president talks about the border, I know he has no idea what he's talking about. So, so he's just parroting what, what some other bureaucrat or activist in his administration put in front of him to say. He's not calling the shots. 
he's clueless with, with, with respect to what's happening on the border. So again, I think it goes back to the ideology and the political benefits of why this is happening. But you mentioned the cartels. Here's something that's very important. There, there's two things that are very important. One is, is that somehow the past hundred years, um, we, we have convinced ourselves uh, as we look at the border through our ideological lens that, that the cartel's involvement in drugs, bad, but the cartel's involvement in human smuggling is somehow different, right? Mm, we, we, right. We've separated that, but it's not. It, it, it's the same, it falls under the same bad. criminal, uh, it's just as bad. And, and what people don't realize is that, that for, in just the past five years, it's gone from a $500 million business to a $13 billion business just on the human smuggling side. Where, where do people think the cartels do with that money? Do you think they give it to the Red Cross? I mean, of course not, right? I mean, it goes back into their criminal operations to expand the drug operation as well as well as other criminal opportunities. So, so illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. We're actually empowering the cartels. And, and speaking of that, the cartels are one of the most powerful, influential uh, criminal organizations in the world. And if we ultimately are really going to secure our border, it's a multi-layer strategy. First, we have to have meaningful policies that are going to allow the, 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 the men and women on the front lines do their job. We're going to have to give them the resources to actually secure the border. And third, we're never truly going to have a safe, secure border until we attack and dismantle the cartels. And we have to change the way we're going after them uh, because the way we've been doing it, Rich, for the past 30 years has failed. Mark Morgan, stick with us when we come back. I want to talk about your take on, on the latest shenanigans with the uh, multiple Trump indictments and more that are coming down the pipe potentially. So uh, don't move a muscle, folks. We're on with Mark Morgan, former CBP commissioner and uh, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and we have a uh, caller with a question for Mark Morgan, our guest, former former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Let's go to Todd in Atlanta, Georgia, on WGKA. Todd, you're on with Mark Morgan and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, uh, yes. My question is: um, I understand the cost is around 140 to 160 billion per year under Biden, the increased cost for illegal immigration. Do you know the numbers going back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, how much this is costing us? And second, the uh, increase in illegal aliens from China. Uh, I understand they're using an app provided by the CCP, which means they know exactly who is coming in here. What is the increase in the you know, probability of another terrorist attack because of what's going on at the border? Thank you, Todd. Mark Morgan? Yeah, so Todd, two, two good questions. So I, I don't know the exact numbers of previously, but you're spot on. So right now, 
uh, FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, uh, put out last year a, a study that showed that illegal immigration right now costs uh, uh, American taxpayers about $150 billion a year. Uh, that should be shocking. I know a lot of our attention is, is paid to the physical border for obvious reasons, but there are multiple downstream effects that impact not only taxpayers' pocketbooks, but also uh, their, their uh, availability of resources, whether it's a hospital, schools, and et cetera. So there is multiple layers to what's happening on our border, number one. Number two, the, the, the national security question. Again, Todd, this is a very good question. This is what really one of the uh, several things of why I get so passionate is because we should all be united uh, together to secure our border to prevent another terrorist attack. And I'll go back. In the first 29 months of this administration, there have been 1.5 million known Godaways. The former chief said that's underreported by 20 percent. I don't like to do public math, but we're looking around 1.7 to 1.8 million total Godaways in 29 months. There are about 14 states whose population is less than 1.8 million. So we've literally mm-hmm. added a 51st state of Godaways. And, and we've also increased the number of illegal aliens we've apprehended on the FBI's terror screening database. So it's not a far leap to, to, to make and suggest that we literally could have a next sleeper cell in the United States plan the next terrorist attack, and we would have no idea. That is a serious concern. That is out of control. Now, Mark Morgan, but before, we, um, before we wrap, I wanted to get your take on all of this lawfare that's being used to come after Trump and to in, in many ways, um, you know, rig the Republican primary. You know, I think now they've got him going in to two different proceedings in different in different jurisdictions where he's supposed to be campaigning. And now he's he's, you know, responding to all of these legal inquiries. Um, what's your take on that? And and do you see, I guess, what's your crystal ball? Look at that. Yeah, so uh, I also spent 20 years in the FBI, so I've dealt with, dealt with the United States Attorney's Office uh, for, for a very, very long time, Rich. And I can tell you, th- this is what I focus on, and I continue to do this. And I've said this on the, 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 the Right Squad, the Chris Plant show on Newsmax, is mm-hmm. this is about prosecutorial discretion. And what I mean by that is there are assistant United States Attorneys every single day in our country that are declining to prosecute a case for a variety of reasons. And so now think about this. Whether, the, whether they have strong evidence to satisfy the elements of the alleged crime or not is irrelevant to me. What we have here is a former president of the United States, a current leading GOP candidate, and a candidate of, of, of his – and a political opponent of the current president. This is not the time. This is not the situation where you are going to deviate from historic precedent to go after a former president and leading opponent of the current president of the United States. This is absurd. And part of, of the prosecutor's discretion, you, they should be taking in the, the creation of, of more divisiveness in this country, the further erosion of the public's trust, that, that their belief is that they're intensely doing this to interfere with the presidential election. This is absurd, and this is a huge mistake, and that's why there's a lot of talk that it appears like we're heading towards being a banana, a banana republic. And, and I think that's fair to have those discussions. And, and at the end, here, here's my crystal ball, is that mm-hmm. I, do you really think he's going to get a fair hearing in D.C.? There, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way. Of course not. I mean, it's like 97% uh, uh, Democrats. But, but we, we actually could be on the precipice of, of seeing uh, uh, the, the first president elected from prison. 
<laughs> it's funny, but it's really not funny. Mark Morgan, no, brilliant analysis as always. I want to thank you for being with us. Let everybody know how they could keep up to speed with you, how they could follow you and uh, the work that you're doing. Is the best place to go, and I really, I really encourage people to go to that because they just don't. You don't even have to listen to me. Go there, take a few minutes, educate yourself, get aware, look at the facts, and I promise you, if you do that, you're going to be with me that we need to secure our border and stop this madness. Give us the website one more time. Uh, heritage.org. Heritage.org. Check them out, Mark Morgan. Thank you, sir. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I appreciate it, brother. Godspeed. I think the last one for sure. Thanks. <laughs> All right, my man. Folks, we're coming back to your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's hit the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Bonners Ferry, Idaho, KSPT, and check in with Dustin. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go ahead. Hello, how are you doing? Wonderful, thank you. Um, I just wanted to let people know that the northern border is not open. I try. I went to Canada three nights ago and got turned around and there were three guards that I had to speak with um, on my way in, back into the U.S. Um, and that was at about midnight. So I just wanted to let people know that. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And you know, and that's likely in response to the fact that the numbers at, at the uh, northern border, uh, New Hampshire, New York, Vermont, they were up tenfold. Crazy, right? Uh, some some uh, ridiculous number that it went up um, as of like from the spring. So uh, let's see, that was March, April, May. So it looks like it's coming down finally. But uh, yeah, up tenfold as of March of this year. NBC News reported that there was um, some 2,000 migrants that had crossed the border. And at that same period last year, it was only about 200 um, illegal crossings. So for sure, you know, when you're doing it the right way, like you did, Dustin, it's um, it's one of those things where they're going to stop you and talk to you and they may even turn you around. But these people are trekking through, you know, the, the woods like Sasquatch trying to get into the United States. And obviously it's freezing up there and, you know, people are losing their lives on both sides of this. And it's just interesting to see how we're seeing the surge at the southern border. And uh, we saw a surge at the northern border, although it seems to be dissipating. So that's a good thing. Thanks for your call, my man. The music means they're kicking me out. But I appreciate it. Big shout out to you guys in Idaho. And we're coming back. We have uh, some conversation to, uh, to have yet. And uh, I don't want you to miss it. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. What happens when parents get worn out? We're going to talk about parental burnout straight ahead. You don't want to miss it. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you. Uh, it's Wednesday night, the 9th of August, and I want to uh, share our phone number with you if you want to join us on this late-night national town hall conversation. You're welcome to do it, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I'm looking at an article in... Let's see, what's this called? It's called Psychology Today. And uh, it discusses parental burnout, when parenting becomes too much. And, of course, you know, look, I've been a dad for 22 years now, done it twice. You know, I got an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old. And I don't feel like an expert in any way, right? <laughs> you know, other people say they've been doing something for 20 years. You're like, man, you must be really good at that. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm an expert. I think uh, this is probably one of the hardest jobs ever. And it's it's always interesting to see how how these things play out, right? But that's that's where we are as parents. It, it does become too much at times, and it, and people do get uh, burnt out. So I want to have a discussion with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's uh, the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery, and I want to talk about when burnout just becomes too much because you know people are with their kids all summer. And millions of parents, you know, they're like, hey, when does school start? <laughs> there was a survey taken last year that found that 66% of working parents feel burned out. So I want to talk about the warning signs. And I want to welcome Dr. Vince Callahan. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I love your intro, man. It was great. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. So let's, let's talk about this um, because, you know, I think as parents, first of all, a lot of times, we don't always have the um, the best support system. Some of us uh, may not want to go to our own parents to say, hey, how did you do it? You know, Or some of us don't want to go to our own parents because we didn't like how they did it. Uh, or some of us may not have parents anymore, like me. My parents are both gone. So you know, I think right. there's not a huge support system for parents, and there are resources out there, but I don't know that everybody uses them, and I think just – Either you got parents, some of them who may not care, and then you have others that are, you know, maybe care too much, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm doing a bad job" because they feel burnt out. So, what are the warning signs of parental burnout? Well, the warning signs are when a parent becomes an overthinker, an overgiver, an overdoer, and an overachiever. When parents feel stressed or overwhelmed and they don't feel like they have any resources or they get physically or emotionally exhausted, um, there's no fulfillment according to that APA article. And lastly, um, when they're just their whole mental health begins to, from a global perspective, kind of decline, I think the pandemic changed us. It taught us that isolation was okay when it really isn't. All right, good point. Uh, now let's talk about it. You said overthinker, overdoer, and one more over. Uh, so let's let's take those apart, if you don't mind. Uh, what's it like to be an overdoer? Meaning you're overdoing it as a parent. I'm taking you to too many sports, uh, or I'm trying to you too many sports. Yeah, I'm doing mm -hmm. too many things for you, 
I'm doing everything for you and not letting you do anything and not giving you any responsibility. So you've got uh-huh. parents, and all four of these got overs it. come out of a, their own low self-esteem. So I've got to think for the child because I don't think they can think for themselves. I've got to give them everything because they can't earn everything. Um, I'm doing everything for them because I don't think they can do it. And uh, I live vicariously through their achievements. And so everything they do is what I do. And it's just, it's too enmeshed. I remember when uh, one day somebody gave me a bag of gummy bears and I forgot and left them in my trunk. And instead of having 500 individual gummy bears, I had one blob of sugar in the back of my trunk because I forgot it for a few days. And sometimes families are that way. They're too enmeshed, and it's too much of the parents taking on the things of the child, and that creates this over, like you said, over everything happening uh, with that family. So then that creates the burnout. It's kind of a vicious cycle. So if a parent is... um... I don't know, you know, uh, overdoing, right? They, they, they said, oh, you know, I'm going to do this for my kid. I'm going to do that. And, and what we used to call spoiling the child, right? And if, if they're doing mm-hmm. that, d- does that just mean that they're not the best parent? Uh, or is it, is it a surefire sign that they're burnt out? It is a, it's, it's not about being the best parent or not being the best parent. It means that there's an imbalance or a problem. It's mm-hmm. kind of like if you think, you know, a, a baby chick has to struggle through uh, pecking through this shell in order to be born. And someone had the bright idea one day, let's help these baby chicks crack the shell so they don't have to struggle so much. What they found out was 97% of the chicks that they cracked the shell on died because wow. they had no will to get through life. And parents, when they take on the role of their children and do too much, because I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to have to work through these things. It's all about what I can do and all those kinds of things. What you really do is set the child up for failure. It doesn't make you a bad parent. It just makes it imbalanced. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're setting up your kids for failure, it sounds like you're a bad parent in my opinion, but uh, you're the expert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, uh, w- let's talk about this other over. You said so it was overdoing, and what was the other one? Overgiver, they give them everything. Uh, and there was overdoers a third. and overachievers and over, overthinkers. Let's talk about over uh, overthinking. Uh, how does that one play into it? Well, have you ever been around anybody that finished someone's sentences all the time, mm. or they interrupted them when they're talking, sure. or they correct them at every turn? Um, yeah, I've seen husbands and wives like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I counsel them every day. Trust me, in my <laughs> practice. I get them. I have to teach them how to basic, teach them what basic communication is all about and how there's actually a listener and a speaker and the two don't overlap. Uh, They have to have separate functions, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, parents who overthink, they're, they're just trying to do it for them. And they're, they're not letting them have an opinion, not letting them have a voice, not letting them speak what's on their mind. They're afraid to hear truth sometimes. So they just, they're doing too much. So ultimately, what does, you know, what does Dr. Vince Callahan tell a parent that walks in and says, look, you know what? I'm listening to you. I think I do them all, right? I think I buy my kids too many things. I do too many things. I finish their sentences. 
and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm overdoing it and I'm burnt out or I feel like I'm exhausted with the whole thing. Um, how do, how do, how does a parent uh, recover? Well, I tell them uh, two different things. The first thing I tell them is in your brain, what's happening is that you're dumping cortisol 24 seven because of your stress. Cortisol is the stress hormone. A lot mm -hmm. of people like to uh, stress eat uh, the carbs. Uh, we won't go there. And uh, I tell them that you're, you're dumping cortisol. And, and if you're creating stress because of your behavior, you're creating stress in your child because your children mirror what you put in front of them as behavior-wise. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell them, the, the parents, first of all, hey, you know what, let's figure out how we can change your neurotransmitters in your brain because we have the power to do that ourselves. Um, don't know if you know, but cortisol, that stress hormone, takes about 15 minutes for it to peak. It takes about three hours for it to go away unless you do something to change it. What would you do? Like so, go to the gym? Well, no, well, you can go to the gym. You can change it with diet and exercise. But what you can really do really simply, um, if, if you get a hug from somebody or you achieve something or do something well or have, have your favorite piece of chocolate, you release dopamine and you release oxytocin. When you do that, cortisol goes away immediately. So I'm going to tell you to do something in a positive manner that is affirmation or feel good or bonding or connection. And if you'll do that, you'll change that stress hormone. So that's the first thing I'm going to tell them. And the second thing I'm going to tell them is what you really need in your family is attachment. Like I said, COVID made us learn how to live alone versus living connected because we all had to isolate. And that's kind of one of my little soapboxes. Um, but I, I tell people, families especially, put down the electronics. Don't be on the phone all the time, on the tablet all the time, on the TV all the time. Attach, attach, attach. We've got to get back to being a family and do things together as a family and have attachment and bonding moments so that we're not so stressed out and we're not running so hard and we're not trying to be perfect, which is really what overachieving really is, is just trying to be perfect when we know we're not perfect. Outstanding information thus far. Uh, Dr. Vince Callahan, founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. We're coming back to continue our discussion on parenting. Folks, if you want to talk to Dr. Vince, give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you. Our guest, Dr. Vince Callahan, founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. You can check him out at drvincecallahan.com. And uh, we have a call from St. Albans, West Virginia, WCHS. Let's go to Emily very quickly. Go right ahead. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I was just wondering if uh, your guest is still on there, right? Yes. Thank you, Emily. We appreciate it. Um, we'll get to the next caller when they're ready to get straight to the point. You know, Dr. Vince, there's an article in today's Daily Mail, and I just wanted to share this with you because I think it's so spot on with the conversation we're having. It says, moms share their biggest parenting mistakes so you can avoid them, and fellow parents um, say the honesty is refreshing. And this was on TikTok, but it's being reported in the Daily Mail. And I just want to give you a quick line from this because the first thing that, that one of the moms said was that, Make sure you don't do too much for your kids. And I went on to read some of the other advice the other moms had, and it was right in line with everything you were saying. The other one was saying that, you know, the other side of that can be true as well, that when you do so much for your kids, your kids don't know how to do anything. Like, you know, do simple things, household tasks, simple meal prep and things of that nature. So I think everything you're saying makes a lot of sense, and we don't realize the damage of it. I was wondering, what are some other areas that may exist where people aren't, um, I guess, maybe cognizant of the damage that they're doing to their children um, while they're doing it. Let me let me throw two things at you. Number one, the simple idea of playing in dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't let our kids play and get dirty anymore. We want to give them the antiseptic, all the stuff to put on and the hand sanitizers and all that. But what we don't understand that we're doing is killing their immune system Mm -hmm. because there's germs in dirt that we need to overcome and boost our immune system, but we don't let kids be kids, which that kind of brings me to my, I hate participation trophies. That's one of my soapboxes. I think we've done more in our culture to kill kids drive and goal and to strive after things by giving them a participation trophy just for showing up. It's like, if you're going to play soccer, keep score, and let's figure out really who won and who lost, because sometimes losing's part of winning. But that's just another one of my little pet peeves. But really, yeah. one of the things I wanted to say was, burnout is just a, uh, it's just stressed camouflaged. That's all it is. Burnout is really stress. We just don't acknowledge it. And we don't, we don't want to say, yes, I, I feel like it, like you're talking about, I feel like a failure. And because I'm burning out doesn't mean I'm failing. It means that I'm tired and I'm doing too much and I need to back up some. I know lots of families where the husband works a lot and the wife takes care of the kids and all she does is take care of the kids. And then, you know, he comes home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and it, there's nothing left for anybody. And that, that system doesn't work. And I know people have to do things. But if we're really going to boil all this down, burnout is stress that's camouflaged. And if so we're the, under stress, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, if somebody's really stressed uh, or burnt out or whatever, uh, and we know it's because they're overthinking for their kid, they're overdoing, they're overgiving, um, is it, I, it seems to me like if... If somebody told me you're doing too much for your kid, I, I don't know that I would go, oh, okay, great, thanks, <laughs> and just fix the problem right away. I, I think I, I, that's my speed, right? This is what I do. So I think right. how do you get somebody to realize that they're doing too much and to actually pull back? Well, I, I do a training for parents called Understanding Your Child's Brain. I would never tell a parent that they – are doing a bad job as a parent or they're not effective parents. But if I can teach them how their child's brain works, 
and I can teach them about stress and how children receive stress and what it does to their developing brain, I can get them to say, hey, wait a minute, I need to change something. I had a lady one time in one of my uh, workshops, and one of the things I talk about is the bear at the door. When there's a bear at the door, we go into our fight, flight, or freeze mode. That's the alarm systems, all that's going over in the brain, the cortisol's being dumped, and the size and function of the brain has changed. And when I finished the seminar, she came up to me and she said, from this teaching, I realized that I'm my children's bear at the door, and I need to be their mom and not their bear. Now, I never told her she was the bear. I just told her what it does to be the bear. And wow. I think we need to be able to say that to parents. It's like, hey, you know what? Look, maybe what you maybe you are doing too much, but how's that working for you? Are you okay? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you being effective as a parent? Are you yelling too much? Because when parents burn out, they typically yell at their kids. They're irritable. They get their kids in trouble more than than if you know on small things versus the big things. They they just kind of you know, lower the hammer, so to speak. And that's all about the mental health picture of the parent, if you will. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm doing too much and I'm burned out and I'm stressed that's going to reflect in how I parent to my kids. And I'm not going to be an effective parent. I'm, it's not that I don't want to be a good parent. I'm just not going to be very effective. Excellent point. Uh, it really, it really is. Uh, I think oftentimes varying cultures see things very differently and they lose sight of what this effective parenting that you're talking about really is. And uh, I think uh, conversations like these help to, to drive that point home. Folks, Dr. Absolutely. Vince... Yeah, Dr. Vince Callahan, founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. You could check out his website, drvincecallahan.com. Uh, in the minute that we have remaining, Doc, what what is um, the best way for people to follow you? Are you on social media? Is there a handle you want to give out? I am on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I have Facebook, Dr. Vince Callahan. Uh, Instagram, the same thing. They can follow me on social media. They can go to our website. We have a free download on our webpage called The Drama Free Home. It's a teaching that I do for couples, and they can get that free download if they want to and just visit us on our website, and uh, that's the easiest way to uh, follow. So if you want to get The Drama Free Home, go ahead and get it. It's drvincecallahan.com. Dr. Vince, thanks. Really, really insightful conversation. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm burnt out or I just yell too much. But either way, thank you for being with us. Thank you so you much. Bet. Bye-bye. Coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're talking about parenting. Speaking of parents, there are some moms that have been highlighted in a new book by Jacqueline Toberoff, and I want to get to the, um, the crux of it. 
Uh, the book is Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival. And lucky you, Jacqueline Tomaroff is with us. Jackie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's, um, let's dig into this a little bit. First of all, I want to let everybody know who you are. You, you, you're a writer, but you were also a, a candidate for the city council in New York City, and you were very vocal on a lot of issues and remain vocal on those issues. And there's been a bunch of, um, I guess, big headlines, some of them very national headlines, on what's going on around Lincoln Center with the Roosevelt Hotel, with Mayor Adams starting to sound like... Um, like, you know, he was from the Trump campaign saying, you know, sh- shut the border down. Don't send any more people. You know, we can't do this anymore. He sounds like a big Republican all of a sudden. And and I just find it laughable that this is the same guy that said we're not changing the city from being a sanctuary city. Uh, we're a sanctuary state, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, now that it's in his backyard and his constituents are paying the price and people in New York are, are seeing the the rise in crime, the rise in homelessness, the the stress that it's putting on the city. They're all changing their tune, and I, I find it remarkable. But what's your take on all that? So I think, you know, with Mayor Adams, he goes back and forth constantly. It's, it's really hard to gauge what he means exactly. Um, you, you almost need a decoder to understand what he's talking about. And every number that they've provided vis-a-vis the illegals is incorrect because, as you know, the flood just keeps on coming. So the numbers aren't even accurate. Um, I did an article for Human Events around a month and a half ago, and over 50% in some schools in Manhattan are illegal children. And they're now saying more are coming. I mean, the student body in in some Manhattan schools are really over 50% illegal children. Um, I think the other thing that's really confusing for people is the names keep shifting, whether it's illegals or migrants or asylum seekers. And this is a similar theme, you know, that we've seen throughout the Democrats' agenda of just constantly changing the vocabulary. It, it confuses people. Another thing he said is that services, basic services, right. would be impacted. And basic services have, in fact, been impacted. Well, and you know what? Passes. I think it makes so much sense that these services are being impacted because I'm looking at something here in the New York Post, and I think you're making a great point. New York City still receiving 10,000 migrants per month with 2 million allowed into the U.S. under Biden's uh, current um, claims of reduction. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's disastrous. These immigration policies are, are, are crushing New York City. Again, this is a report in the Post with over 10,000 migrants arriving monthly, demanding shelter, meals and services. And these are pretty new stats. Despite the Biden administration's claim that it's reducing the number of asylum seekers and whatnot, the reality is that's not the case. And it's amazing, right? Look, listen to this number, Jackie. In the first six months, 66,117 migrants entered the country. And they're saying as much as 10% of all of this, right? 10% of 671,000 migrants uh, are headed toward uh, New York, right? This is um, a, a crazy number. So when you say that services are being interrupted, I mean, I think that's the only outcome you could have with that many people logging up the system. Well, of course, and it doesn't help that he's flooding Manhattan, which is, the out of all five boroughs, the most cramped 
one to live in. I mean, really, and something else that your, your listeners should be aware of, the taxpayers in New York own 43,000 square miles of unused land. For whatever reason, New York City Mayor Adams has not touched any of that. He's hell-bent on, on jamming them into areas to promote this, his vision of diversity. It's crazy. It's crazy. Jackie, mm-hmm. I want to pause right here real quick. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come right back. Folks, we're on with Jackie Toberoff. She's the author of a brand-new book. We're going to talk about the book momentarily. Uh, again, the book, Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival. Don't move a muscle. Again, our phone number, 833-482-5337. If you want to join the conversation and make a point, feel free to do that. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our guest, Jackie Toberoff, is with us. We're talking about her book, Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival. And this is something that we've seen, right? I remember it was October of maybe 2021 when we saw that initial letter from the National School Boards Association that was really written by some White House staffer somewhere and uh, eventually led to parents uh, in Virginia and elsewhere being labeled as violent domestic extremists, right? Domestic terrorists. And we saw moms and parents and dads across America really rise up. And groups like Moms for America, Moms for Liberty, uh, made such an impact in organizing across the country. And and it's, it's great to see that you've got this book, Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival, because I think moms have been so central to the public discourse uh, within the body politic over the last couple of years. So, um, Jackie, take it away. Tell us why you were inspired to write the book. So it's a timestamp from 2020 to 2022. And 2020, of course, was the pandemic and BLM, which ushered in CRT. And these were the two things that really activated mothers that were never politically activated before. And it goes up to 2022, which were the primaries. And I knew that the left, the Democrats, the Biden administration, as well as the teachers union, were going to look to revise and erase history. And these mothers have already been silent. So I was hell-bent on making this the testimony and the timestamp of a period in time that has really served as a tectonic shift for basically getting rid of the political campaign consultants. Uh, the new consultants are these moms. Right. And how did you, um, I guess, narrow them down to the 12 profiles that you chose? So they had to have been activated. I wanted people from north, south, east, west, um, every race, religion, 
socioeconomic background. I have, I'd say at least 50% of the mothers in my book are either former Democrats or current Democrats that have voted Republican for the first time. Um, you mentioned Moms America. I have Kelly Fletcher. I have Moms for Liberty, Tina Deskovich. I have one of the moms that was pretty much the first one to, quote unquote, storm the school board. That's Astra Namani. Oh, um, sure. I have... Yeah, uh, Olivia Bernard, who was never in politics, and all of a sudden she ran for school board and won. I have mothers that ran for city council, for Congress, uh, for all different offices, because once they get a taste of power of their own agency, they realize, really, sky is the limit. And I think that's the truth. And, you know, you you mentioned Asra Nomani, and we've had her on the show. It's... um it's it's they're driven by passion, right? It's not ideology. It's it's passion. It's love. It's it's what moms do. Now, what um, what's the big takeaway that people can expect if they pick up a copy of your book? So there are really three points, and the first one is just a layup. The first explains what activated these specific twelve. The second point is they discuss twelve different angles of attacking woke ideology, and they make predictions for what is coming, and it is not good. And then the third, and I think the most critical is, they provide a blueprint, whether you are a type A mom or behind the scenes, how to get involved. And I want to say this is not just for super moms or super dads or grandparents. We are all funding our demise. Our tax money funds the educational complex that is then used to turn our children against us. So really, this book is for everyone that is that is paying taxes right now because you have no idea what is coming this September, and it's not good. This is scary stuff. Uh, folks, we're on with Jackie Toberoff, author of Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival. I recommend it summertime. Get two copies, one for yourself, one to give away. Uh, Jackie, let everybody know how they could follow you and how they could pick up a copy of the book. Yeah, please go to Amazon. That's the best way. And I want to say you have 5 million listeners, even if 1 million, 10,000 buy a copy of this book. It does two things. Number one, it will prepare you for this coming September. Number two, Biden and the teachers union have hobbled the market. They have created a fixed market. America's largest teachers union this summer has been required to read all 1.7 million of them, gender queer. This is Mm. two-thirds of our nation's children are not able to read or write at fourth-grade level proficiency. 76 of New York public school children in in eighth grade are not eighth-grade level proficient in math. What are these people busy doing? studying bonus holes and furries. I mean, we are a world gone mad. So again, please find Super Moms Activated on Amazon, and you can follow me on Instagram at Jacqueline4NYC. That's J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E-F-O-R-N-Y-C, or Twitter at J-C-Q-U-E-T-N-Y-C. I want to thank you because, you know what, I think that this is such an important topic and it's one where we have to, I think, revisit often, right? People need to know that that uh, everybody does make a difference, moms make a difference, and 
And if we don't highlight those that have done it well, you know, sometimes you don't you don't know how to do it. And and I think these women know how to do it. And uh, having met a couple of them, I can tell you, I think you, you picked some excellent people. And I'm sure it was tough picking just 12 because there's really a lot of moms out there that are really kicking butt. Uh, Jackie, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Excellent, um, excellent book from what I can see. I can't wait to actually read it. And I encourage everybody to get a couple of copies of the book. Like I said, get one for yourself and give one to another mom or somebody who will be inspired by it. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so grateful for your time. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We've got Open Phone America at the top of the hour, and we're going to continue this discussion with your calls straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And again, just an announcement. I did not hit the Mega Millions or the Powerball. Um, I think we covered that last night. I just want to reiterate that. I did not. <laughs> I bought one ticket. It's funny. I, when I bought the ticket, there were people buying tickets ahead of me. Um, $60, $100. Everybody's putting all sorts of money. And I can never really part way with my money that way. I'm just, I, I expect I'm going to lose. And even though I have a brother um, who hit Five million bucks on a lotto ticket. But still, um, that's him. He's got the good luck, not me. Anyway, I want to get to the phones. Uh, and, oh, just again, a reminder. I want to thank everybody who voted and uh, during the nomination process and registered to vote for the People's Choice Podcast Award that this program has been uh, nominated for because voting uh, started yesterday. And I know if, if you were selected to be a, a voter, they have contacted you. You should have been able to cast your vote by now. If not, then stand by. They might get to you. They have until September 9th to get to you. And, um, you know, do what you got to do. Hold it down. Represent the show. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, but I want to thank everybody who registered to vote. If you did not register to vote, I don't think you can anymore. Um, now it's just a waiting game on when they actually, you know, send you that email for the votes. I think they do the drawing sometime after the 9th of September. And uh, we'll see how that goes and how we fare in uh, in that competition. But the um, phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Jane. She's in Saratoga, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Yes. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hey. Um, I, I want, first of all, yes, I voted for you, and I Thank expect you. for you to get that. <laughs> so yes. let me know if you don't. I'll have a talk with them. I um, will. And we're going to call your Sicilian family and have them go visit them. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I want I want to um, thank Jackie. Um, she is, an, uh, having been, you know, head of child protection team for 30 years, she is so spot on on how to handle things. Um, mm-hmm. She She's being, you know, the way 
parents, so many parents are so stressed out right now, and our children are being cheated out of education. And um, I am not against children being taught, but I, I am against illegals coming and stepping into our lives to the point where many times it's almost impossible for parents to be raising their children. The schools are fighting against them at every step. And um, here I've been speaking to some of the most incredible young people in my area and um, people in their 30s, and they are saying, no, this is enough. Our children are not going to be pushed aside like this, and we have to be good parents. And we have to defend our children. And um, I, I, she's, she's really good. The points that she's making and the passion that she is feeling, um, I think, is so excellent. And uh, more so than um, some educated psychologists that, that we know of. And, yeah. um and yeah, she she has a more human approach, and um, and that's what we need. And I we're getting more and more. I'm sorry, I try to make it quick. We're yeah. getting more and more young people with parents, and we're all having get-togethers, and we're talking, and they're practicing. Okay, how do we talk to our children? How do we explain this to them? And it's so amazing because one of the things we have in the agreement is, all right, if a kid is really out of control and really stressed, we're going to sit down and we're going to say, okay, we want your opinion. Talk to us about what we can do for you. And kids, I, I, I was at one house. And yeah, this, they're not easy. No, it's beautiful little child in the fourth grade said nobody cares what happens to me they only care about the people that have stepped in and now i'm not learning anything he said that's heartbreaking <laughs> so cute he said except and i'm just uh, okay he did say this he says except how to get rid of my penis do i have to do oh my goodness Oh, my goodness. That sounds like open phone material. Jane, thank you so much. I got to run here, but uh, I want to give everybody the number again. Uh, open Phone America coming up right now. Your calls on every topic we've discussed, plus whichever ones you want to discuss. That's why we call it Open Phones America. And the uh, phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. Your calls and more coming up. A couple of crazy stories as well, and a few reminders on different things that we've got going on. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. At Rich Valdez on all of the social media, our telephone number, if you want to join us in Open Phone America tonight, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S. Looking forward to your comments. Funny, I got a comment the other day on social media. Let me see. I took a, a, a snapshot of it because I said, I got to remember to talk about this one. And this was really an interesting one. Bear with me. It's live radio, and I'm trying to find it. But, man, let me tell you, this was very, very interesting to me. And it, they were they were complaining. Let me see if this is it. Nope, that's not it. They were complaining about how... Here it is. I think this is it. This is Vincent Dembinski on Facebook. And he says, you know what's wrong with you? Speaking to me on Facebook. He says, you hate the other half of the country that's not like you. Why do you need to talk about pedophiles and transsexuals all the time? Almost every night you bring it up. You really could have a good show if you would stop being such a bigot towards people who aren't like you. And my first thought here was, are pedophiles and transsexuals the other half of the country? Because <laughs> that's what he's alleging here. And I thought, my goodness, I had no idea. I thought they were a small bunch that were making a lot of noise. Uh, but... Mr. Dembinski seems to think that the other half of the country, right? So there's the half that are not pedophiles and and transsexuals, and then the, the half that are. And I think Mr. Dembinski is grossly mistaken here. And uh, I appreciate the fact that I could have a good show if I wasn't such a bigot towards, um, what words again? Transsexuals and pedophiles. I will be frank with you. Uh, I am uh, I'm not a bigot towards transsexuals. I just find it interesting when they try to impose their their views and their will on children in public school, children in general. Uh, I am uh, bigoted towards pedophiles. And um, forgive me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I take exception to pedophiles. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I, I, I don't think they should be a part of our society. Um, I, I'm also a bigot towards murderers if, if if you're interested, Vincent. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I, every now and again, I want to always share some of the feedback that we get from social media with you. So um, interesting, right? Interesting to say the least. Now, I also wanted to share a story with you. <clears throat> I wanted to talk about this at the top of the hour, but I got caught up in giving you my soliloquy at the top of the first hour on reparations and illegal immigration. So I went over time and didn't share this with you, but this was a headline today. The FBI shot and killed a Utah man that wanted, uh, who was wanted for threats against Joe Biden, according to a prosecutor in New York. And many, um, many politicians who were allegedly threatened by the same man, he's a Povo resident from uh, Povo, Utah. His name is Craig DeLue Robertson, D-E-L-E-E. U-W, Delu. Anyway, uh, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has um, obviously charged Trump 
with falsifying business records. We knew about that. Um, and this is the same, um, the same prosecutor that has been making some of these claims here, right? I don't see where this, this is getting tied in, but I'm getting to it. Hold on. Work with me. So the FBI shoots and kills this guy. And the same district attorney who's prosecuting former President Trump uh, was trying to arrest this same man. Now, the court documents say the FBI described this guy Robertson as a white man, approximately 75 years old, who was surveilled wearing a dark suit, uh, later observed having an AR-15 lapel pin, a white shirt, a red tie, and a multicolored, possibly camouflage hat bearing the word Trump on the front. Now, it's, it's amazing to me how these things happen, <laughs> right? I mean, and I don't mean to laugh, but this guy threatens Biden and, and, he's, um, and he's dead now. And, you know, just below the lead here, we see that, don't forget his hat said Trump on it. Now, I don't think we should ignore it, but I just think they're going to make this whole article ultimately about that. Robertson was fatally shot by uh, the FBI at 6.15 in the morning in Utah, Polo, Utah, about 12 hours before Biden was due to visit Salt Lake City. So while there seems to be no like solid connection here, at least that I can see that, you know, this guy was working, I'm, I'm, looks like they're going to make it look like he was working for uh, El Trumpito. Again, this is just my speculation. But that is uh, the big story that was going on there with with Biden and them. So um, I'll take your thoughts on that or anything else you want to talk about, honestly, uh, because I, I see there's a lot of people that are on hold and I want to get to that. So let's go to the phones. Let's go to Matt near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Go right ahead. Yes, sir, Rick. How you doing? 80 miles north of, 80 miles north of Moorhead City. Well, anyway. that's more than everybody in Radio Land needs to know, but go right ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I think the, I'm sorry, sir. I think the FBI did a good job on this one because look what happened with uh, that guy Hinckley that shot President Reagan. Sure. For Forty years in prison. How come he didn't get killed in prison? Yeah, I I don't know. This is it's a, it's a breaking story. I I don't know the half of it. I do know people that are saying they're going to kill people and and are prepared to do so. I think you gotta you gotta stop them. I just, you know, I can't help but stop and, and criticize the media when they, um, they, you know, we're not sure he was wearing a camouflage hat. We're not sure if it said Trump on it or not. It might have been, you know, it's like, come on, you know, I, I just, if it said it, it said it, you know, but if they knew it would be a different headline. Man wearing Trump hat killed by FBI for threatening Biden, right? That would have been the head, headline. Here, it's like, oh, we're not sure. They're just throwing it in there for the sake of throwing the reader off, trying to throw a little bit of smoke screen. You know, later they'll go, no, no, it said trucker. We thought it said Trump. Oh, my bad. You know, like they always do. And this is what kills me about the media, because then everybody buys it, or at least, you know, half of the country, I guess the half that are transsexuals and pedophiles, (laughs) half the country buys the story. And then they go ahead and they say, oh, my gosh, you know, it's the Trump people. They're trying to kill Biden. You people are a bunch of whatever. Uh, like I told you, you know, I've, I've been asked that, you know, I heard you're a Republican. I've heard a lot of Republicans are racist, so you're not a racist, right? You know, and, and I mean, this is how bad the media is, that people are legitimately, you know, people operating in good faith, 
They're just operating with the information that they have. And they think that this is a, a rampant problem in America because that's what they hear. And then people regurgitate. And it's just, it's, it's a sad thing. But you're right. You know, you, you definitely don't want another John Hinckley situation. That's for sure. So, yeah, Matt, I think we got to pay very close attention to this stuff. And we got to do what we got to do. You know, assuming that it's on the level and, and that, you know, this wasn't another crazy concocted uh, scheme by the FBI. Because, honestly, you just never know anymore. Matt, I think we lost Matt. Anyway, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WTKF. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We've got Montana, South Carolina, Missouri, and more. It's the uh, momentarily. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So it's the 78th anniversary of the bombing in Nagasaki, the atomic bomb, and the mayor of Nagasaki is urging uh, the world to abolish all nuclear weapons. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. But Shiro Suzuki made the remark after the group of seven industrial powers adopted a separate document on nuclear disarmament in May that called for using nuclear weapons as deterrents. Now, um, I don't want to get into a big conversation on nuclear weapons, but I'm just curious to know your thoughts if you want to share. Do, do you think everybody should give up their nukes? Uh, I don't. Uh, I think, you know, hey, if you got them, you got them, you know? That whole mutually assured destruction theory is a, is a good one for me. I think it it's all but guaranteed. It's like two guys pointing guns at each other. Usually, nobody's dumb enough to pull the trigger because you never know. Somebody might squeeze one off before you kill them, and you both end up dead. Uh, it's a possibility that exists, and that's why you want to keep crazy people away from the trigger. But what do I know? Let us go to the phones and see what you guys know. Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR, our resident historian here on the program. Bill, welcome. Yes, sir. I thought of you today, and I also thought of Truman and the bomb. And uh, mm-hmm. you you mentioned it real well. Uh, Nagasaki was today, and of course that was, uh, I believe it was codenamed Fat Man, uh, an implosion device, and I'm proud of Harry Truman because he made that decision, and uh, the buck stopped there. Uh, he had a little conversation with Mr. Oppenheimer, who, who said, there's blood on my hands, and Harry said, no, there's blood on my hands, and I'm responsible for it, and 
I made the decision. Don't you worry about it. So I thought that was pretty cool. What do you think? I think it's great. Uh, honestly, I do too. I remember being um, taking a college course once, and the professor, uh, Robert Ellis, history professor, he, um, he, he, he made us role play the, you know, kind of like to war game, the whole scenario. And, you know, we were in groups and I don't know why, but the group that I was in, they picked me to be Truman. And, and I was like, oh man, you know, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I was like, do I get to rewrite history? Do I stick with it? And no matter how, um, how often we did it, 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 almost everybody in the group all kind of agreed, uh, maybe with a couple, one holdout, it was necessary and it had to be done. And it was just, it was interesting. It was interesting because then once I gave the presentation, you know, I was like the official reader for the group. When that happened, it, it, everybody was kind of like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were trying to second guess themselves, but ultimately I think everybody agreed. But it was the professor that gave me the most pushback, uh, really gave me a hard time. But what about this? What about that? What if you, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, he pulled me to the side and said, hey, you did great. Uh, I was just, you know, busting your chops. Uh, I think it was the right thing to do, too. <laughs> so I think that was pretty cool. Uh, Bill, I want to thank you for always being our resident historian and calling in with uh, very, very prominent and pertinent facts that are very, very um, germane to the discussion that we're having. Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. <clears throat> we continue. Let us go to Marshall. Marshall's in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Marshall, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Marshall, going twice, going three times. We don't have Marshall. All right, that's the deep state there after Marshall. Let us continue. Let us go to Oahu, Hawaii, where there is a massive fire going on in Maui. Roger on KHKA. Welcome, sir. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right. Um, Yes, we have the big disaster over in Maui, the worst disaster we've had since Hurricane Aniki in Kauai. The entire island is shut down, and we lost the famous town of Lahaina, totally burned out. I don't know how the fire got started, but we had the Hurricane Dora, which is about 400 miles south of us, but it pulled in the big winds from the north, and we were hit with 45, 60 knot winds. So maybe some wow. jerk off. He threw a cigarette out the out the window, and it lit it up, and that was it. The whole town burned down. Have you been to Lina? No, no, I, I have. I've never been to Hawaii. I've, I've, everybody's urging me to go, and I've never been to any of the islands there. Uh, I want to go, and I was looking at the reports earlier: six killed, two dozen injured. Um, and again, I don't know how these things start. Typically, I know in California, these things start because of poor forest management. They don't take it eventually catches fire. I don't know what the case is in Hawaii, but interesting to say the least and, and unfortunate. Um, how are you doing, Roger? Are you close to it? No, I'm over in Oahu, but we have, we have wildflowers here out in, uh, they have a side, and that's the west side. We also have fires in Kauai and on the Big Island, so it's yeah. not just here. It's you know we're we're stuck with drought, and I don't believe in that 
climate. But yeah, I get it. I definitely get it. And you know, I'm watching a video. I was watching a video of the the uh, wildfire. And I mean, this isn't in a forest, right? This is burning through homes. It's burning through an entire neighborhood. It's it's really really sad. It's it's definitely wild, but it it's a misconception if you haven't seen the video. It is raging, raging through uh, th- this uh, community. Really scary to see. It looks like it's nighttime, but it's literally daytime because there's so many uh, thick uh, billows of, of black clouds of smoke. It's really, really extraordinarily uh, sad, honestly. Uh, again, six killed, two dozen injured. We've got Roger on the line calling from Hawaii on KHKA. So, uh, Roger, again, in Oahu, Hawaii, uh, what else can you tell us? Well, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I called about legal alien immigration. That was my mm-hmm. main concern because I heard your your show yesterday. Okay. And I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe what you were saying. I said no. So I got on the government uh webpage ICE. Yeah? Yeah. Does everybody know what ICE is? And yeah, I'm Immigration at Customs this. Enforcement. That's right. And when Mr. Trump took office. There was 1.18 million immigrants crossing the border. He inherited that from uh, the Obama administration. And he deported 334,000, and 110,000 of those were convicted criminals in their home country. Yep. The next year, he deported... 295,000, 143,000, 144,000 of those were convicted criminals in their home country. Yeah. The following year, he deported 330,000. 186,000 were convicted criminals. And his last year, he deported 350,000. You got to do the work if you want the results. You're right, Roger, and we're not seeing enough of that now. Instead, we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing now five million allowed into the interior here, uh, with uh, something like two million gotaways. It's a crazy number. Anyway, thanks for the call. Big shout out to KHK. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. America, welcome back. We continue with your calls across the country. Now we go right to the smack dab in the middle of the country, Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z, and check in with our buddy Paul. Welcome. Hey, hi, Rich. Uh, good evening. Um, yes, yeah, I, I had to apologize to your producer slash uh, call taker mm-hmm. that um, I had to hang up on you because 
my 91-year-old neighbor, oh, I think she's kind of losing her mind a little bit, Rich. She's, I've been beside her for 30 years, yeah. and it's getting it's getting pretty burdensome. Um, she had left her uh, garage door up, her porch light on, and I went over to find out that she thought her granddaughter was coming after her, who's not coming till tomorrow morning. So I had oh. to make sure she was all closed up and shut down. You yeah, got to so do that. You have to be a good neighbor. Yes, sir. Now, the thing I wanted to talk about, did I hear right when the lady in the last preceding hour said that there was 1.1 million teachers in the teacher union that had to read this uh, queer gender book or gender queer book? No, I I think what I got out of it, I think she said that every member of the teachers union was going to urge all of their students to read it. And I think that was the number. Um, of of students reading it over the summer, but again, I could have been wrong. We'd have to rewind the tape. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. You can read it all you want, but they don't have to add it to their curriculum, you know. Uh, because I can't hardly believe that. Because um, you know that uh, all the teachers would be like that. Now, I'm not defending teachers' unions and things like that, but uh, what I'm saying is, I spent 16 months as a sub, as a janitor, custodian, whatever you want to call us. And yeah. it, it seems to me that a lot of those teachers, yeah, a lot of those teachers, they're not like that, especially in a small town like, you know, where I'm at. Now, does it happen? Is it more prevalent in bigger cities? But I just have a hard time finding, you know, that they would be teaching that stuff. And well, here's where you're listen, about to destroy me. In our, in listen our, to this. Yeah. Because I, I'm going to, first, my personal observation, right? I went to the library because my printer got messed up. And I, there's a library like down the street from me. So I went there. I was like, I, I, I need to print something because my printer got messed up and I'm going on the air and I, I need to do this. And uh, I was doing a Newsmax thing. And um, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And I, literally, I looked to my the number one book. It had like a display, like in a store, gender queer. Now, today's New York Post. I think it's today's New York Post. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm sorry. Last month's New York Post. Listen to the headline. The largest teachers union in America recommended educators include genderqueer in their summer reading. This is how they're backdooring it, right? So they give the summer reading list. The NEA, the National Education Association, recommends genderqueer. The book was featured in NEA's Great Summer Reads for Educators, and it only, it only focused on 11 books. That was one of the 11 books. Another one of the books that they recommend, White Fragility a book that insists that white Americans use anger, shame, and guilt to avoid taking responsibility for racial inequality. Other sections included books to help you forget about work and books to celebrate or help you understand Juneteenth. Under the banned book section, Gender Queer is recommended as reading. Um, it was uh, reported that the, the book defends the sexually explicit graphic images that are in the memoir, um, and this is what what's you know the controversy that's around it. And uh, the woman Maya uh, Kobabi, she's the author. She told NPR, and she said, "Honestly, I think the book is a lot less explicit than it could be." And again, that particular book has like like a comic book looking section where there's uh, fellatio going on. I believe it's between a teacher and a student. And this is something that they want to include in curriculum and recommend at public libraries. Um, And then she goes on to say, I think it's hard to fully explain, I think, like how a gender identity can impact every facet of life as an adult without touching at least a little bit of sexuality. 
and I wanted to at least not like shy away from from that. That's a quote directly from Maya Kobabi, the author of the book. Uh, so the NEA uh, declared that racial and social justice is a pillar of the NEA's efforts. So again, National Education Association and racial and social justice are pillars of what they do. So yeah, Paul, I don't know if the number is right, but I do know they're recommending this across the board, across the country, and uh, it sounds kind of crazy to me. Well, that's that's not what my teachers taught me, and if that's the kind of stuff they're pumping out to our school children, I they they're all all be fired or get the heck out of your uh, teachers union because I wouldn't be teaching children that they're too impressionable to be teaching that kind of stuff. What happened to arithmetic, you know, uh, history, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, if that's the kind of stuff they're teaching, then maybe we ought to clamp down a little harder on these teachers unions. That's my my feeling, you know. And I know a lot of good teachers. I don't want to put down the teachers, but I right. just think that's crazy. I agree with you, brother. And speaking of teachers, I want to get your thoughts on those. Eight three three four Valdez. Let's go to Gary Galloway, New Jersey. W O N D. Gary, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yeah, hi, Rich. Uh, well, at least there are some towns here and there that, that I heard are not going along with this. Uh, absurd policy that in Ocean City that they're fighting against it, which I'm glad to hear. And uh, Good. I just hope, I just hope that uh, more parents homeschool their kids. That's, uh, I think that's a big part of the answer. As crazy as it sounds, uh, I think you're right. You've got to take the kids out of the system in, in order to, to send the message and to protect your kid. Exactly. That's right. And I really, I, I think, if they keep up this policy, I think homeschooling is the only hope for the future of our country. You're 100% right, Gary. I appreciate it. You're a, a patriot and a scholar, and uh, it's a brilliant point. It really is. It's sometimes it's, it's scary for many parents. They're like, how am I going to work? How am I going to do that? I don't know how to teach. There's a lot of people that are homeschooling. Quite frankly, I've met some homeschool kids, and they're way brighter than kids that have been, um, you know, um, come up in the public school system. So thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Let's continue. Sarah Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, it's good to be back on night shift and be able to talk All to right. you. All uh, right. You're back. Welcome. I'm back. Yeah. Um, I want to say I missed part of what that great caller who was on talking about how he was a sub-custodian, and, of course, that touched my heart. Oh, um, my buddy Paul about- in Zanesville. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, okay, so, like, um. You know, I talk to a lot of teachers who are members of unions, but they're, like, politically conservative. And I say, well, you know, um, so, and the reason they tell me they join, they feel like they have to join because um, the union does offer valuable benefits, um, such as if a parent sues a teacher personally. And, it's, you know, you got to realize that there's going to be frivolous lawsuits or times where it's a good teacher. Um, right. But they told me that, like, the district wouldn't cover them, but the union will. Another thing is workplace uh, remediation. Um, sometimes, you know, school districts can change depending on who you have on board and superintendent. Sometimes you get a real corrupt board, real bad superintendent. And um, teachers have to have some sort of protection. It's kind of like workers in factories. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is there's no um, conservative union alternative. And to not join the union um, uh, not to have the union protection and benefits and legal assistance. Um, teachers need that, even good conservative teachers. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. 
Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I mean, and, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I can tell you that uh, you you couldn't offer me any amount of benefits in the world to, to take a job like that. And, and I had one. I, I worked in state government. I had all of the um, union benefits that were available. It was, I just couldn't do it. I didn't like working in government. It was like, oh my gosh, I'd rather make half as much money in radio and, uh, and suffer and starve. And I did, um, especially in the beginning. But, and, but I realized a lot of people, A, don't have the courage to take that kind of jump, and B, or aren't s- silly enough like I was to do that, to take the leap. And, and I think the other side of it is there are realities like children and this and that. And I just took my kids on the ride with me and I said, hey, we're not eating steak for a couple of years. You know, we're going to stick with chicken nuggets for a while because it's going to get rough around here. But I, I get what you're saying. And then the other thing, you know, when I hear, I've heard this argument before. And, and I get it. I don't begrudge anybody, you know, for getting a good job and, and uh, having union benefits. Uh, but I, I do know that th- this is the same thing that people who get extorted say, right? You know, when you have a, a small dry cleaner or a small restaurant and, you know, um, some mob comes in and says, hey, you got to pay us for protection. And you're like, no, nah, I'll take care of myself. Thanks. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah. And they start breaking your windows and you know, messing things up in your restaurant. You go, all right, all right, take it easy. How much I got to give? $200 a week. All right, here's $200. And now they make sure nobody messes with you. Everything's good. You got no problems. They haven't built in security. But you don't want to give them that $200, right? You just kind of got to give them because you're between a rock and a hard place. So I see the teachers unions, in particular the NEA and AFT, I see them as extortionists. Uh, I really do. I think they take good people, well-intentioned teachers, uh, that are there to be educators, that are there to help children. Uh, they, they take them and they politicize them and they use the power that they have over their livelihood in the name of protection and whatever and else and whatnot. And they do that to leverage them to get them to do their political will in the classroom. And it's a vicious cycle that's going on. And, and it's, it's, it's a tough one. And for many people, they're like, look, I'm going to have to do my 20 years and do this, whether I believe in it or not, because I, I need the job. And, and I get that, and I respect it. And like I said, I would never begrudge them. But the only way to, to eliminate the power that's associated with teachers' unions is to eliminate the demand. Right now they got the market cornered. Uh, so there's an endless supply of kids that want to go into public school, and voila, they've got, you know, they're shooting fish in a barrel, so to speak, figuratively speaking. So uh, I get it, Sarah, and um, I, it's a tough one. But we have to be courageous and we have to fight otherwise we're screwed. But again, everybody has to make a decision. And uh, I would never hold that against anyone. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're back on night shift, by the way. Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. I appreciate it. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Call now. 833-4-Valdez. That's 
833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. We continue our um, discussions with everybody across the country. We go from Indiana to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Check in with Brody. What's up, Brody? Uh, I'm hanging in there. How are you doing, uh, sir? Um, I'm doing great. Thank I'm, God. I'm uh, calling on the... the uh, <laughs> i tell you what, it's just really crazy times, isn't it? Yeah. Sure is really crazy times. I just I just wanted to say that um, there's a lot of um, people that are under this misconception. That uh, also, uh, I wanted to talk about the FBI there for a second, but we'll sidestep that. I want to talk about the shootings in Pittsburgh at the uh, Free of Life. Um, there, oh, there that guy was sentenced to death, right? Yes, he he killed some people I knew. And oh uh, man, sorry to hear that. It, it very hit home. Yes. And um, there's a lot of stuff that was going on when Trump was president that he wanted to come and pay respect. And the mayor at the time, Bill Peduto, didn't even want to meet with the president because it was like everybody just loved to give uh, Donald Trump a hard time all the time. And the head rabbi there, Jeffries, like invited him. And uh, I think it was just very unfair to pit. Like he had a lot of people in his administration, you know, Carl Icahn, financial, Jared Kushner's his son-in-law. And you know, Jason Greenblatt and Steven Mnuchin and people that take like Donald Trump as like a person that doesn't like the Jewish religion. They're they They don't know what they're talking about because there's a lot of people in the Orthodox community that support Donald Trump and his, um, sure. His ideals and what America is and everything. And also Israel making Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And I just wanted to like say that there's a lot of people, uh, in your corner and the conservative view and uh, Christianity, Judaism, you know, my, are you a Bronx boy? Because my, you know, Brooklyn. my mom grew up in the Bronx, so Brooklyn, that's good. I have some good friends in Brooklyn there, too. There's a lot of people there. But I, I just want to say that, you know, like this whole thing about, like, getting, you know, good conservative people that they're, that they don't, you know, like Jewish people or, or black people, it's just wrong, and it's all twisted. And the, and the media is, should be accountable for being real. But uh, I just really appreciate um everything that you do for this country and the airwaves. And I'm such a big fan. Oh, Brody, thanks, man. It makes my day. I appreciate it. it really does. It keeps me coming to work. The, the day that I don't know that people, look, we get free music and everything. The day that, that uh, I feel like this isn't a benefit to anybody and I'm just talking to myself, I'll probably stop talking. But as long as there's issues to talk about and, and something I'm saying is making a difference somewhere, then I'm, I'm grateful to do it. And I appreciate you, sir. You're a patriot. God bless you. And uh, we're going to uh, kind of pause right here. I'm going to come back with the rest of your calls as we wrap this thing up for tonight. 833-482-5337. Rich Valdez coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. Make sure you um, check out the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. If you want to listen to any of the interviews you may have uh, missed or if you want to listen to it again, you sure can for free, absolutely for free. And you could subscribe for free through your podcast app on your phone. So if you have a, a phone that works on Android, you can go to Google Podcasts if that's what you use. Or if you're using an Apple phone and you use Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe that way. This way you get a notification every time there's a new episode. And you can choose whether you want to listen to it or not or share it with a friend. Again, the website for that, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Plus, you could stream the shows right from the website. And you can listen live if your station is carrying a ball game tonight or any other night, you can say, you know what? I love the station, but I'm going to listen to Rich Valdez America at Night. And you just go straight to the website, richvaldezamericatnight.com, and you can hear it. All right, let us uh, go to Evergreen, Montana. Our man, Frank, K-O-F-I, Faithful Frank, what say you, sir? Hey, um, the caller in the previous hour was talking about excuse me, Sandpoint, uh, mm -hmm. Idaho, and north north of there, Bonners Ferry, and then there's a port of entry into Canada, uh, eastern Canada that way, and they said it was right. closed. If it was, it's, there's a fire up there, and they have uh, uh, only one emergency equipment up there. There could be downed trees on the uh, highway. Good explanation. There's fallen rock, d uh, deer and everything, moose. Running across your path, and it's just it's it's, it's a terror scene, and wow. uh, that kind of that's kind of steepness in the the slopes there. It's just uh, just incredibly steep. And you remember the movies like uh, Rocky, First Blood. Sure, me, that was it. Rambo, alone. Yeah, mm -hmm. Rambo. That was it, and that was that was filmed in Eastern British Columbia, along with the movies like Alive, and then there was the you know, the cannibal uh, scene, I mean, the crash plane scene in the Andes. That was actually filmed in Canada. And wow. then there was the Buffalo Soldiers. And um, anyway, it's... Frank, you are so of full of there, insightful information. I got to let you go because the music means they're kicking us both out of here. But thank you. And until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it again tomorrow, God willing. But until then... Keep it locked right here on this station. There's more programming following me. Don't go anywhere. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.